I do want to wish you a Merry Christmas. I'm so thankful you've chosen to gather with us this morning as we remind ourselves about uh, the birth of Christ and what all that meant. And I do hope as well that you join us this evening uh, for our candlelight service. Uh, We are concluding our Advent series, The Word, and the title for today's message is The Word Will Return. Next Sunday is New Year's Eve, and we will have a doxology Sunday. Uh, If you're not familiar with that, uh, that's when we take a little bit of extra time to sing together. Uh, There won't be a sermon per se, uh, mostly just singing together as we worship together, and uh, maybe some scripture and a little devotional thrown in there, but um, a lot of singing. And it's a lot of fun, Uh, always really encouraging. But we decided since next week is New Year's Eve, that would be a wonderful way to end the year and enter into a new year. So uh, I hope you join us for that. And then after that, the following Sunday, we will be back in Genesis to look at the life of Isaac. Today we're talking about the return of Christ, but we are also going to be talking a lot about light few weeks ago in the first message of this Advent series, I talked a little bit about light. Today we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that. I love Christmas lights. I was telling Brenda about that this morning. I think of all the Christmas festivities and all that accompanies Christmas, Christmas lights are my favorite part. I grew up in Minnesota. Uh, Sometimes that comes out in the way I pronounce my O's. And much like here in western New York in winter, the nights are long and the days are short. Though I got to say, Minnesota was much, much colder. I loved it when my parents would let us bust out the Christmas decorations. and We would string up lights on the tree. We'd put them throughout the house and uh, also on the outside of the house. We'd hop in the van, drive around looking at lights. And that is just etched in my mind. I I think of that often. In fact, um, when I'm driving around and I see lights at night, Christmas lights on houses and and whatnot, it just reminds me of that in my childhood. I just loved how magical it always seemed, the the lights shining in the darkness, you know, reflecting off the snow, the mounds and mounds and mounds of snow. I remember one time, it was not Christmas, it was actually sometime late in the summer, I was at a youth camp, and I think I was somewhere around 14 or 15 years old, not sure. But I walked outside, it was late at night, I'm not entirely sure how I didn't get in trouble with the camp counselor, but somehow I avoided that. But I remember seeing something strange in the night sky. I walked out, and as I looked up, just brilliant green and blue and purple It was aliens. No, um, it was the northern lights. And the beauty of these strange lights just against the darkness of night was striking. And so I love light. I want to once again read from John 1, 1 through 18, the passage that we've been parked in these last few weeks. Let's read. It'll be on the screen uh, if you don't have your Bible with you this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light 
which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Today we'll look at why does this matter, what will happen, and what does this do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning as we consider Christmas and and all of its implications. We thank you uh, that we can join together and celebrate with each other, that we can encourage each other as we consider the incarnation, as we consider Jesus, your beloved Son, becoming flesh, the light of the world entering into our world of darkness. And Lord, as we consider these things, we do anticipate, we eagerly look forward to the day when he will return and we will be forever with you. We ask for your blessings this morning. Give us eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. So why does this matter? Well, let's begin to summarize first a little bit. Over these last few weeks, we have dug into the topic of the incarnation, the word becoming flesh. That's what that big theological word means, just Jesus, the Son of God, becoming flesh. The word was with God and was God. The word in the Greek, the logos, was and is Jesus. We saw that his own people did not recognize him and they rejected him because they dwelt in darkness. They actually loved the darkness. Jesus came to be rejected so that you and I who have believed would be received and be made children of God. We looked at how the prophets spoke of the word who would come. Jesus would come as a servant. He would come as a suffering servant, as Isaiah talks about. But as Mike shared, this servant would be successful. He would accomplish what he set out to do. And again, it's also that we would be received. We looked at how the word became flesh, that the eternal pre-existent one who created all things became flesh. In this passage that we've covered these last few weeks, we find that Jesus is the word. He was with God. He was God. He is creator. He is life. He is light. And he is full of grace and truth. Now, as I began to prepare for this this series, but more particularly this message, I asked myself a question. Why does this matter? Why does this passage, which is, if we're being honest, kind of abstract at times, why does it matter? Well, I believe we can pull the answer for why it matters from John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Pardon me a second. I don't normally drink with my left hand. Learning to do a lot of things left-handed these days. We live in a world that is very much in darkness. It's a world of darkness, but it's also a world that's devoid of meaning. At least it believes itself to be. By the time Jesus came into this world, as we've been looking at, the Greek philosophers uh, that we've mentioned in their search for the logos, their search for meaning, their search for 
the reason, they had essentially given up trying to find the Logos, trying to find reason. Two of the parties of philosophy at the time were the Stoics and the Epicureans. And you can see even in the book of Acts that the apostles, as the gospel went forth, had to address these two philosophical parties. The Stoics said, there is no meaning to anything, so control your thoughts, control your emotions and your actions, and accept what you cannot control or understand. The Epicureans said, yes, there is no meaning to anything. There is no absolute truth. So eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. These philosophies have not gone away. We see them in the world today. But what John is showing the reader is that there is meaning. That meaning, the Logos, is a person to be known. He is the light and life, and he has come to love, to reconcile, to bring peace, to shine in the darkness. He has come so you can know him and love him, and all grace and blessings flow through him. So the world is dark, believing itself to be devoid of meaning, but Jesus is the light that has come to the world and shines in the darkness. Light is triumphant over darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. It could also be said the darkness has not overtaken it. This is deeply encouraging for us. It's, it makes a tremendous difference for the believer. Brothers and sisters, you and I were once in darkness. Ephesians 5.8, for one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And Colossians 1.13 and 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. We are now children of light. We are part of the kingdom of the son. I love how Paul says we are light of the Lord, in the Lord. If we are in Christ, we are like him. We are light. But when we look at the world today, we might be tempted to think that the darkness seems to be gaining all around us. We hear the threats of darkness. We see the effect of darkness. We see those who are of the kingdom of darkness wandering around like blind beggars, reaching for anything to fill the empty longing of their hearts. You guys know me well, hopefully by now, but uh, couldn't let this go by without at least one or four Lord of the Rings references. In the Lord of the Rings, Frodo and the Fellowship have just survived the Mines of Moria, where they lost their leader Gandalf when he battled the Balrog, a demon from the ancient world. Weary and grieving, they enter the woods of Lothlorien, where the Elven Queen Galadriel provides them with shelter and protection while they recover. She gives Frodo a gift. It's a glass file which emits a powerful light, the Star of Arendil. She knows the dangers that lie ahead for Frodo the enemies that he will face. So she gives him these instructions. In this file is caught the light of a star. It will shine brighter when night is around you. May it be a light to you in dark places when all other lights go dark. And when needed most, the light shines out. When all other lights seem to have gone out, when night seemed to have won. At times, the threat of the darkness gaining ground erodes our peace, and night creeps in. But brothers and sisters, remember that Jesus is the truer and better light, and the darkness cannot overtake the light. 
Jesus triumphs over darkness. Jesus shines. The gospel shines. We who are his children shine into the darkness. The church shines in the darkness. And the darkness will not overcome. At the end of Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Doesn't say maybe, doesn't say Mike could win. The gates of hell will not prevail. At the end of 1 John 2, 8, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So there will be times when perhaps to our earthly eyes, the light seems to diminish and the darkness seems to gain. But John is showing us that Jesus, the light, cannot, cannot fail. The light is already shining. The darkness is already passing away. Darkness will fail. Jesus, the light, is more real. He is more powerful than what our earthly eyes can see. 2 Corinthians 4.18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. When we see through the eyes of faith, maybe despite what we see with our physical eyes, we are assured by what the scriptures proclaim, what is real, what is true, is that the light is already shining. So in the darkness, there is no meaning. There's only grasping at meaning, but in the light, there is all meaning. And the meaning is the light and life of Jesus and In reality, he is meaning. Jesus is meaning. So again, coming back to the question, why does this passage matter? Because in the face of darkness, you and I need to be reminded and reminded often and assured of the victory of the light. The word became flesh. God the Son became flesh, and he was victorious in his death and resurrection over death, Satan, and darkness. And one day, the word will return. So what will happen? Part of the Advent season, this time of remembering the coming of Christ, is that we take a little time to think of and anticipate the second Advent, or Christ's second coming, his return. So let's look again at John 1.18, looking at it in the world, sorry, world, English Bible translation. I'm still learning English. Uh, One day I hope to achieve that. John says, no one has seen God at any time. The one and only son who is in the bosom of the father has declared him. So, all right, we need to set the stage a little bit here. We're talking about the word returning, but this passage doesn't explicitly tell us that the word Jesus will return. Uh, But we are seeing something about the relationship between the son and the father here. It tells us a little something about the reason for his return. We're seeing the foundation, so please follow with me here. Here in verse 18, we see that Jesus reveals the Father. He makes him known to believers. We also see, as I spoke of a couple weeks ago, about the withness of God. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit have eternally been with each other. In the closest of relationships, in the translation we read from, the closeness of relationship is described by John as being in the bosom of the Father. The NIV describes it as the closest relationship. With the father. The imagery in the original language is of a child sitting on his father's lap, laying his head against his father's chest. Now, I love when my daughters cuddle up next to me on the couch. I love those moments, and they are brief. Usually they're off running to the next thing. 
Perhaps we're watching a movie and they're curled up next to me. I love those moments. And uh, they probably have no clue how much I love it. In Christ, we are loved by the Father in the same way, only exponentially, exponentially more. Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would know the love of the Father that he has had for the Son in the same way. The Father delights in us, and we, his children, are secure. And so there is a nearness of Jesus and the Father that we, as the adopted children of God, have been brought into. We are in Christ, and we are just as close as Jesus is to the Father, laying with our heads against his chest. Nearing the end of Jesus' ministry, he began to talk a good deal about what was coming. He began to talk about the crucifixion, his death, the resurrection, and also of his ascension when he would return to the Father in heaven. And of course, this troubled the disciples because they didn't understand what he was saying. And they wouldn't understand what he was saying until after the resurrection. But Jesus gave them a promise. John 14, 1 through 3, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now, I think it's fair to say that believers understand to some degree that Jesus loves them. For the Bible tells us so. Little ones to him belong. But he is strong. Thank you. Thank you for indulging me there. Also, this, this is a little bit high for me to reach with my foot. Just realizing that. Absent-minded things. Jesus loves us. We sing that as children. I hope that gets ingrained into our hearts and minds. That's why we sing it with our kids. But I think sometimes we forget that he actually likes us too. We can kind of theologize love a little bit. But he also desires to be with us. That's what he's saying. He's preparing a place for us. And his desire is to be with us. The witness of God. Turn with me to John 17. Again, it'll be on the screen. Now, I know we often call what we see in Matthew 6 the Lord's Prayer. But I think Jesus' prayer in John 17 is more fitting of that title and and. Don't freak out because the title of that was not originally in the scriptures. Uh, That's something that was added later. So I'm not doing violence to the scriptures. John 17, part of the Lord's prayer here. Towards the end of it, he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Eugene Peterson paraphrased it this way in the message, Father, I want those you gave me to be with me right where I am. Jesus wants you and I to be with him. So yes, his return, as we talk about often, is about him coming to right all the wrong things, restoring things to the way that they were intended to be before the fall, making everything that is sad untrue. Second Lord of the Rings reference. But without the relationship between Jesus and those that the Father has given to him, those whom Jesus has rescued and redeemed, without his people, without his bride, 
there's no reason for his return. And so Jesus promises to return. He speaks to the Father about his longing, his desire to be with those that he has redeemed. And in the book of Revelation, we see something incredible. The return of the king. The return of the word. Now I promise you, Lord of the Rings was only partially, partially the inspiration for this message, but every time I thought about this uh, phrase, the return of the king or the the Lord will return, the word will return. I kept thinking of Gandalf's words to Denethor in the movie adaptation of Lord of the Rings. Authority is not given to you to deny the return of the king, steward. (laughs) The darkness of this world cannot deny the return of the king. It is a rock-solid, assured thing that we have. It is a promise that you can take to the bank It is sure. And as a side note, this year, closer to the summer, we will embark on a series in the book of Revelation. And as a very early intro to that series, I hope you remember this intro uh, months from now. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, as seen in the very first words of that book. It is not revelations. It's not simply just a revelation about things to come, though indeed it does speak of some future things. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ himself. It is primarily given to encourage believers who are in the midst of persecution that Jesus is the victorious king. That he is powerful and sovereign over all things. And that the darkness ultimately and finally and definitively loses. To put it simply, Jesus wins. It is given to encourage us that one day the light who loves and has given himself for us will return to be with us for all eternity. And so revelation is not given to us to speculate, but to be assured. Light wins. The word has triumphed and will consummate that victory when he returns. So turn with me to Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Now we did read through this passage Uh, in a message a few months ago, but it is definitely worthy of our time. Beginning in verse 11, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is such an incredible and intense scene. It is the return of our Savior as conquering king. At the end of history, heaven opens and the word of God, again, this is the logos that we've been looking at. The same word we saw in John one, the son of God, Jesus appears on a white horse, a horse of victory, leading the armies of heaven dressed in fine linen. This army is made up of those who are believers in Christ who have died and now return with him. In John 1, the Logos came to redeem fallen sinners, to pay the penalty for sin. And in Revelation 19, the Logos comes again. 
And this time the light comes to crush the darkness once and for all, to be united to his bride, to be with his people. The word will return, and when he does, we will be with him for eternity. Eternal light, eternal life, eternal love, eternally with. So what does this do? How does this help us? Well, this last point serves to show how we can apply this message of his return to our hearts. What does this do? What does Christmas do in the heart of the believer? First, Christmas gives us confidence in Christ as the incarnate Lagos. John and the other writers give us evidence of the life of Jesus. They also give us the evidence that he was more than just a man. He was fully God and he was fully man. These accounts testify that Jesus came, that he lived, he ministered, he taught, he performed mighty miracles, he was arrested, he was convicted, he was beaten, he died, he was laid in a tomb, and he rose again. He appeared to over 500. He ascended into heaven where he sits at the Father's right hand even now. The message of John, the Christmas story, and the accounts of the Old Testament all point us to Christ and his work of redemption. And they are given to us so that we would believe. John 20, 31. We've read this passage a couple times in the last few weeks, but it's good for us again to hear it. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He says it this way in 1 John, again, writing of the Logos, 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So Christmas gives us confidence in Jesus. Second, Christmas gives us confidence of Christ's victory. We have shown that Christmas isn't simply about baby Jesus laying in a manger. Though, again, it's good to celebrate the birth of Christ. But as I'm prone to saying each year, we celebrate his first night because of his last night. Christmas is as the footsteps of doom to Satan. The serpent crusher that we have talked about all throughout this year, since Genesis chapter 3, has come. Christmas is victory wrapped in swaddling clothes. Christmas is the story of the light coming into the world. It is the echo of Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And in John 1, the light entered our time and space and our darkness, and he came to conquer the darkness. And in his wisdom and good purposes, he went away to prepare a place for us. But as the church shines the light of the gospel into the darkness, awaiting his return, awaiting his uh, coming again, even now, As we proclaim the light of the gospel, the darkness is pushed back. It falls back. It cannot prevail. Author Luke Kohlhaag, another Minnesotan, writes this. Here's the thing about those words, let there be light. God is not done speaking them. 
He is still speaking them each and every day into your life and mine. Let there be light, he says, as he forgives your sins. Let there be light, he says, as he brings you to the end of yourself so that he can raise you to life again. Let there be light, he says, as he removes your guilt and shame and replaces them with confidence and freedom. Let there be light, he says, as he dies on the cross in your place and mine. Let there be light, he says, as the stone rolls away from the empty tomb to reveal that death has been defeated forever. Let there be light, he says, as he casts out demons and raises the dead and shows himself Lord over every sickness and disease. Let there be light, he says, as he chases the night away with the dawn. Let there be light, he speaks to each and every one of our hearts today. The light is always coming, always shining in the darkness, and that is good news for you and me. One day that light will return. We see in Revelation 19 that when he does the word of God, the logos, Jesus opens his mouth. The word speaks, and the light of God breaks forth to crush darkness and his enemies. The scriptures are the story of the victory of the light. And so we need not fear the things happening around us, we need not fear the darkness. Light has won. Light won when the light of the world in human flesh died on the cross surrounded by darkness. But darkness did not overcome him. Though he died, he rose again, and he burst forth in radiant lights. So this Christmas, be of good cheer. Christ has overcome the world of darkness. Believe in the light that you may become sons and daughters of light as John writes in chapter 12. And as we proclaim Christ and the forgiveness of sins, those we come around, those who haven't yet believed, we raid the darkness. We pillage the darkness because the darkness cannot overcome the children of light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the light of the world. We thank you for Jesus who has come. He took on flesh. He obeyed you perfectly. He showed your power and your glory. And he suffered and died in our place. He took our sin upon him so that we might be forgiven. And in victory, he rose from the grave. And now he is seated next to you, and one day he will return. We look forward to that day. Father, at times our hearts are heavy as we see the darkness that, are, the darkness that is around us and sometimes seems to swallow up the light. May your word encourage us that the light has won. May we be reminded of these words. May we be reminded of what scripture shows us about Jesus. Lord, strengthen our faith. As we go forth from here, however we choose to celebrate the holiday this weekend, whether with family, friends, or maybe even by ourselves, may we be reminded and encouraged that Jesus has won the victory over sin, over death, over darkness, over the grave, and one day he will return to be with us. Father, we thank you and we love you because you first loved us.
And in the name of the light, the word, Jesus, we pray. Amen.